So today, I, I really debated whether or not I wanted to begin a new series, knowing that typically on 4th of July, uh, that weekend, we have a low attendance. Most people are out of town or on vacation. And I really felt heavily that God was saying, why are you going to wait? You know, those that need to hear are here. Those that are watching online that need to hear are, are going to hear. So go ahead and start that series. And I've been praying long and hard about this. I have read some books about this topic. I have studied a lot of things that are credible online, uh, but also obviously the, the book that we need to go to to study for, for preparation for messages like I'm going to preach on today is the Bible. Amen. And so I am doing a series on end times. Um, this is something that's going to stretch me a little bit because there is a lot of different thoughts and interpretations about what is going to happen in these last days. And what God was telling me was, I don't want you to focus on those things. What I want you to focus on is the response of the church in those days. Amen. And, and I think that's important because we have, it's kind of weird how on this side of, of the church, we have a lot of young believers. And then we, yes, Jan, amen. And then, <laughs> but we have also those that are more seasoned and they've been following Jesus for a long time. And so I think this series is really going to bless you in the sense that it's going to refocus and reorient us the direction of what we need to do in these last days. And so everybody is saying that Jesus is coming back soon. And we believe that, amen? amen? We do. But guess what? They've been saying that since the day that he resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. So the last days have been going on for 2,000 years. And the Bible says that one day is worth 1,000 years to man, one day to God. So... We are in those last days. And so what I was thinking about was how we spend a lot of time as a church anticipating his return, anticipating the rapture of the church, and kind of wringing our hands in anticipation and in some respects even retreating and isolating ourselves because what's the point, right? If he's coming back soon, then why should I worry about anything? Why should I toil over the gospel and over whether, whether or not people are hearing about Jesus? whether or not I'm a good witness, whether or not I'm healthy and whole, why should I even bother? And that's kind of been the attitude of the church in these last days, especially since the beginning of the 21st century, as we are now 23 years in to the 21st century. There's been a lot that has happened. And so our focus and our fear are misdirected. And what God wants me to do, I think, in this series is to redirect our focus and our fear on what the mission is the Great Commission, and I know everybody knows the Great Commission for the most part. If you've been in church at any time, you've heard the gospel, you know that we are supposed to go out and tell people about Jesus, but I think sometimes we leave that work up to people like Paul and Amani who are going to Egypt on a mission trip. Now, let me just be clear. I mean, Paul and Amani have been going, Amani especially, have been going to a lot of different places in the world that are incredibly unreached. And we have just as much responsibility in our local area where we live in our communities, in our workplaces, and in our schools, in our universities, wherever you're going, wherever God has placed you strategically in these last days for the people that you have to reach. We have just as much responsibility as our missionaries and our evangelists that go out. And I think we leave that up to them and we don't take it seriously for ourselves. Even me as a pastor, it's hard. Yesterday was our block party for Broken Arrow. 
And my wife and I, and I'm just saying this, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw you all under the bus, but we, Mary Malaka and the Clark family, were the only ones there last night. We had thousands of people there last night. And what we realized is that we as a church in the middle of the biggest community event in Broken Arrow had a tremendous opportunity. It's great that people could see our church and say, oh, there's a church. But it would have been better if maybe, just maybe, there was something that we could have done as a church that would have been a little more impactful, if that makes sense. And I'm confessing this to you, I've had to repent of that. Because I missed an opportunity to lead our church last night. And I don't want to ever miss an opportunity again. Because if I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to ask you to take this seriously, then that same weight is on my shoulders just as much as it is on yours. So as we're going to focus our fear and our our anticipation on the right thing, then this series, I want you, and I hope you will, take notes or at least take it seriously as we move forward. This is what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. He said, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. These people say this, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Our fear and our focus should always be on Jesus. Not the conspiracy theories, not what the latest prophetic voice is saying about when Jesus is coming back, not about the fact that the river Euphrates is dried up and that one of the seals is gonna be broken and an angel is gonna be released to kill a third of the population on earth. These are some of the things that that I've been hearing, to be honest with you, are pushing people away from the gospel. These things are being trumpeted more than for God so loved the world. And that is concerning to me. We are distracted church, not home church, but the entire church, in my opinion. We are distracted, especially in the non-denominational charismatic circles. The world headlines, social media, those things they are clickbait, they are fear-mongering, and they want your attention. They want your money. And the more you click on that, the more you marinate on that, the more you let it into your home, and yes, it does trickle down, and us as individuals, we do experience what the world is experiencing on a micro level, i.e. COVID-19, and those of us that got sick with it, we experienced it, amen? But what that does is when we marinate on those headlines and we allow those things into our heart and we start to get afraid of these things, then we isolate. We don't do anything. It's a survivalist mentality. Instead of thriving, we're surviving. And then on the flip side, you have certain prophetic voices that are saying things that, all honesty, if somebody is an unbeliever or not going to church, it's going to freak them out to the point where they don't want to hear what we have to say about Jesus. And we get caught up in these things and we begin to almost put them up at the same level as the gospel. And then what that does is it distracts us from actually living the Great Commission, for actually being a positive witness 
to those around us. And that's concerning. So my question to you is this, and this is something that I believe God spoke to me in prayer. Are we going to be the church that when Jesus comes to rapture us, we're going to be isolated in fear, cowering, and just being in a place where we're not effective? I don't believe that. I believe the church that he's coming back for are going to be on fire, be ready to preach the gospel at a moment's notice, and to take opportunity where it's there. What he's telling us to do is this, is to be vigilant. The word vigilant, that is how we should be as the church. That is how we should be in our workplaces, in our schools, in our universities, in our stores, in wherever we frequent. We need to be vigilant. And so I looked up the definition of vigilant as I normally do because sometimes these words are strong and I don't really know the full meaning of them all. But it's interesting, there's three definitions from the word vigilant. First one is to be alert, watchful, wide awake. How many of us can say that we're that way? If we are living the Great Commission, are we alert, are we watchful, are we wide awake? Second thing is on the lookout for danger or opportunity. See, I think we're more looking out for danger than we are for opportunity. The opportunity is there. Vigilant is not just to be alert for the dangers that are coming, but to be alert for opportunities that might present itself to we, we can be actually be Jesus to people around us or to witness him to them. Third thing is intense safeguarding of something. I thought that was interesting too. What are we supposed to safeguard? Folks, we're supposed to safeguard the gospel. We're supposed to safeguard the word of God, which as I've gone and studied more and more about this topic, it's horrifying to me. As we're looking at the word and we look at it through the the world, through the lens of the world, we're seeing that the word is being twisted, that things are becoming more acceptable, that the word is not even being obeyed. And it's, it's, it's absolutely horrifying to me. So with these th- three things, we can be vigilant. We can be alert. We can be alert for opportunity. We can also not just safeguard the gospel with those around us, but also in our hearts as the world is preaching a different gospel. Amen? So with that, with that let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this day. I just thank you for this opportunity to take our church on a journey through this series I thank you, Father, that you're going to open their hearts to receive this, that whether it's correction, encouragement, direction, wisdom, whatever it may be, Father, I thank you that they will receive and that they will be transformed by your word for these times that we live in, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I got saved in September of 96, and I remember the fire that God gave me when I got saved and how I told everybody about Jesus. And I wonder how many of you remember that, the day that you got saved. See one hand, thank you. See, oh yeah, okay, good, good. I appreciate that. Those first days after you get saved, the reality of God taking you from death and moving you to life because you've placed your faith in the only way, and that is Jesus, that reality hits you 
And then that fire, as the Holy Spirit takes residence up in you for the first time, that fire is just brewing, right? It's on just this flame that you can't contain. And so I was crazy, man, talking to everybody that I knew, friends, family, coworkers. And there's one individual that I did call almost pretty immediately, and it was my best friend, and I've told you all about him before, maybe some of you have heard this, maybe some of you have not, but when I told him about receiving Jesus, he told me, I don't believe in any of that stuff. And then I went further and said, well, Jesus is coming back soon, and if you don't receive him, then you're going to go to hell. And I started talking about the last days and how there's going to be fire and brimstone and then if you're an unbeliever, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he basically just wrote me off from that point. He didn't want nothing to do with me. This has been 27 years and this is a guy that I grew up with since I was a kid. This is a guy that we did everything together. This is a guy that I went in the military with who was my best man at my wedding my classmate at VMI, I mean, you name it, he was my brother, and the only thing that didn't make him my brother was the fact that we weren't blood, but we might as well have been. And there's some instances where I still do talk to him from time to time, it's usually once a year I might trade a text message with him, but he knows where I stand, and I know where he stands. The problem is what I told him on that day the fire and brimstone, the lake of fire, you're going to hell. Look, it's all true, but it's also the way that I delivered it. And it's the way that in that relationship is me being a new born again believer. I, I, I should have maybe taken it just a little bit slower before I got to that point of the lake of fire. Do you get me? In a sense, I did more damage than good. Now, God has graced me, I believe that. And I believe there'll be a day where he'll come back to me and say, you know what, man? I need you to talk to me more about this Jesus thing because I need something to happen. And I felt like there was a moment about 10 years ago where that happened. He was going through some stuff and he did reach out to me and I started to talk to him about Jesus and he started to retreat again. What I'm saying here, the point that I'm trying to say is The message of the gospel is love. And sometimes I think us as non-denominational charismatic believers, we portray the gospel as wrath. And it's true. Those that don't receive Jesus, listen, I don't care what the universalists say. Those of us that don't, we are going to experience hell for all eternity. And we don't want that. Like, I wouldn't wish that on my greatest enemy. And guess what? Guess who's the enemy of, of God right now? those of us that are unbelievers, so that when you receive Jesus, now all of a sudden you become a friend of God. You become part of his family, right? And so he's willing to extend the olive branch to us through Jesus. We should be willing to do the same thing to those that are around us and do it in love, grace, and mercy. Yes, we tell about, talk to them about sin. Yes, there's a time when we talk to them about their lifestyle and how Jesus is going to change that lifestyle and let me help you with that if you need to talk to somebody about that. There's all of that, but going straight to the lake of fire, the fire and brimstone, and I guess in this world, in this day, the headlines about all these things prophetically that are happening and how we're in the last days and how these seals are broken and how all this stuff is going to happen and how Russia is this and how the Antichrist is going to be this person and 
all of a sudden, we have just put ourselves in a position to where we're ineffective to lead in love, and instead we're leading in wrath and fire and brimstone. And I think because of me with my friend, I've pushed him into that place. And it's only gonna be by the grace of God and through prayer and through the interceding of the Holy Spirit that he's ever gonna be reached. And that's what I want us to do as a church, to be in prayer, to be led by the Holy Spirit and to guide our words so that when we interact with people, they'll know that we truly are from Jesus, that we truly do represent him. They won't understand it at first, but eventually they will. But if we come out swinging with the fire and brimstone, the lake of fire, the headlines of the news and how we're close to the end, they're gonna write us off. And that's what I want to avoid. So how are we to respond to these days? The last 23 years we had Y2K. I know some believers who went out and bought property in the middle of nowhere because of it. We have war in the Middle East. We have war in Ukraine. We have all these things that are happening. It's clearly showing us that we're getting close and close. But it's weird because I've looked at history and there have been times where it's been worse than where we are now. But yet, for some reason, we're, we're still freaking out about it. It's time to walk away as a church from the fear-mongering. It just is. Let the world do what it's doing. Let history repeat itself, because it is. We've had a lot of wars in this world, and it's going to continue until the day that Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. It's going to continue. So why are we afraid of it? Why are we distracted by it? Why are we allowing the enemy, the devil, come into our hearts and into our minds and persuade us to retreat and isolate because the end is near? It's ridiculous. We shouldn't do that. It's time to walk away. It's time to walk away. And I'm going to tell you about somebody who walked away from something, and that's Jesus. Matthew 24, if you would turn there. This is going to be the passage I'm going to go through today, Matthew 24, verse 1 through 14. That's where I'll be today. This is what scholars call the Olivet Discourse. This is the message that Jesus told just a few of his disciples to kind of clue them in to what they're about to experience. That once his feet lifted off of the Mount of Olives when he ascended into heaven, the clock's starting. Time is starting to tick. And he gave them these signs that we're going to go through here in a minute to orient them to the urgency of the gospel. It's not to focus on the shiny things over here and be distracted. No, it's to urge them to be a witness because before he leaves, he'll tell them, look, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to give you power to be my witnesses. Amen. It all goes back to the Great Commission, that the Holy Spirit was placed into us to remind us of the things that he has taught us. And that's a whole nother, that, that's a topic I'm going to cover next week about how we battle deception. But this is what he left. 
Beginning in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away. In this temple, it was the greatest building probably on the face of the earth in Jerusalem. Rebuilt and remodeled several times to where Herod took it to where it was at that point. The most beautiful building in Jerusalem. They were there and they began to walk away. And I think as Matthew points out, that Jesus left the temple and was going away is extremely symbolic. What's in the temple is going to come out of the temple. When I die on that cross, the veil is going to be torn. There is no more temple that's going to keep God's presence in four walls of a building. Now the presence of God is going to be with us wherever we go. It's not in a building anymore. Hence the church is not a building, it's the people, amen? Amen. So Jesus walking away out of that temple is very symbolic. It's like we have to be aware of what we need to walk away from in order for God's presence to be fully expressed to those around us. And friends, I'm walking away from all the prophetic stuff that's going on right now. I'm walking away from the news headlines. I'm walking away from fear and anxiety. I'm in a place right now and I have had to come to this place, not willingly, but God has humbled me recently. I'm at a point in my life right now where I'm all in and I'm all having to rely on him moving forward. And sometimes walking away is not just the stuff, but it's from yourself. The things that you're dealing with, the fear that the devil's been trying to hound you with, the anxiety and the stress, sometimes you've got to walk away from it. You've got to make that decision. Continuing in verse 1, so when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will be not left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. They were so enamored with the temple. Well, that's, that's these buildings, right, where the presence of God is, where they were missing the point that they were there, right there in the presence of God, with Jesus. They were more enamored with the buildings. How many of us here right now would be enamored with anything else other than Jesus if he were to appear right here, right now? But they were. And he was like, listen, these buildings are not important. I am. I'm important. What temple are you enamored with right now? What is that thing that you got on a pedestal right now that you're admiring a lot more than Jesus? What is it? Maybe it's something good. Maybe it's something not good, but you're still putting it on a pedestal and you worship at that altar more so than you do in the presence of Jesus who died for us to give us that presence, the Holy Spirit, so that he could walk with us. What temple are you enamored with right now? Do we glorify the signs rather than the one they point to? Do I glorify the fact that Russia attacked Ukraine? Oh, that's an that's a event that means he's coming back very soon. Do you glorify that more than you do Jesus himself? and the relationship that he died and bought and paid for that you have with God. That's hard-hitting 
because these are the things that God is speaking to me. So what are these signs? Listen, I want to give you these signs so that you know what we're facing up against in these last days. These signs that have been faced by people since Jesus ascended into heaven. So we're in a position right now, 2,000 years later, where really these signs have not changed at all. But for some reason, wars break out, famine breaks out, disease like COVID breaks out, and everybody starts to freak out. But these things have been going on for 2,000 years, folks. We're no different than we were 2,000 years ago. But what Jesus is saying here is throughout this time, before I come back to rapture the church, and later before I come back to establish my kingdom, these things are going to happen. I just want you to know that because you have to be ready because they are going to affect you, not just the world, but you. So what are these things? Verse 3, he says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. So I love this, the the fact that the disciples had the guts to come up to him and say, what what was that thing you just said back there at the temple? Like we need to know a little bit more information because we're kind of interested in what you said about the whole thing of these buildings coming down, not one stone left upon the other. I mean, that's kind of hard hitting because we really admire those buildings. And he took Peter, John, James, and Andrew and had a private discussion. And you have to understand this, we're almost to the point where he's going to go to the cross. So he's had a good couple of years with these disciples. He's had a relationship with them to where he can lay this thing out in a loving way. The end of the age that they were concerned with was the here and now. And I find that interesting too, because I think we as the church or more concerned about the end happening right now. And I think the same message applies, where Jesus was basically telling them, listen, I'm not here to establish my kingdom right now and to dethrone the Roman Empire. No, it's going to be a little ways down the road. You have some work to do. And I think he's telling us the same thing now. Wait a minute, I, I see all this stuff going on. You need to come right now, Lord. He's like, it's not time yet. Could it be? Sure. Could it be tomorrow? Could it be today? Could it be... 20 years, 100 years from now, you could. The point being is, don't worry about when the end is. You got stuff to do. So verse four, he answers them. He says this, see that no one leads you astray. Out the gate, the first thing that's gonna be going on these last days that we're in, that we've been in for 2,000 years, is people trying to lead us astray. Lead us astray from what? From the mission. The Great Commission. From being a witness. From living a a holy life, which sounds very religious, but it's really not. Keep us from following Jesus. And there's so much garbage out there right now. But he says, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. There's a lot of people that claim to be Messiah. There's a lot of people over the history since the day that he ascended into heaven that claim to be some sort of Messiah. All that does is lead people away from the truth and lead people away from preaching the true gospel. 
So here are the three signs, and this is the very first one. This one is called deception. The leading astray is deception. There's going to be three D words that I want you to see in this passage. The first one's going to be deception, if you're taking notes. Next one's going to be destruction. And the last one I'm going to cover is disaster. Three big words that causes a lot of fear, but really shouldn't because Jesus said it's going to happen. Therefore, we have to have the comfort that if he knew it was going to happen, then we also know he's with us while it's happening, right? So deception. What are some of the things, and to kind of give you a landscape of what deception we're dealing with now that I guarantee you some of you have heard about, the very first one I want to point out is artificial intelligence. That is on the rise. There is so much stuff out there right now on AI. It's stuff that really kind of freaks me out, to be honest with you. Like, if I wanted to, I could have a relationship with an artificially intelligent woman. Which, by the way, would be adultery. It's no longer just having thoughts about somebody or actually having a physical relationship or an emotional relationship with a woman. Adultery is becoming now where you could have that with an artificial intelligent woman, a computerized female. That's crazy, isn't it? So listen to this. Because deception is happening and as we're sitting here in our comfortable church in an air conditioning building, hearing the word, this kind of stuff is starting to seep into our lives and we're becoming more and more comfortable with it. There's a professor, I'm not even gonna give him the pleasure of telling you his name, that spoke at an economic forum and he said this, he said, artificial intelligence can create new ideas. It can even write a new Bible in order to establish unified and correct religion. Throughout history, religions dreamt about having a book written by a superhuman intelligence, by a non-human entity. In a few years, there might be religions that are actually correct. (laughs) Just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an artificially intelligent being. That could be a reality in just a few years. The deception is to try to cast a wide net and make God's word, but after you you mess with it, it's no longer God's word, but to make God's word appealing to the masses. Like the devil is doing his best as he has done with Jesus and with all of us to try and twist the word so that we will fall, that we will be led astray. Conspiracy theories, there's a lot out there, a lot out there. They are designed to create fear. They are designed to distract us off the Great Commission. I I wasn't even, I I don't even know why this happened last night, but I had somebody come up to me and tell me, in six months, China is going to release a new pandemic. I'm just like, I'm sorry? Yeah, you better be ready, because in six months I heard that China is going to release a new pandemic and, you know, we can't afford another lockdown. And I'm like, where on earth are you hearing that? And why is it you're even listening to something like that? Like, I can't control what China does. 
but I can control what I do. I can control what I do with that information, and I can control how I respond to something like that. And you know what? I should have said, why are you listening to that garbage? But I didn't. I graced that person. But the point is, yeah, I know. Thank you, Becky. I should have. But the point is, that's the kind of stuff that's floating around out there that causes the fear and isolation, and it's affecting the church. Universalistic teaching. There are several. There's a lot of universalist pastors that are out there. Some that were evangelical, but now they've moved over to the side of there is no hell. Whoa. So now we're not talking about just leading believers astray, but leading non-believers astray, which makes it even more important that we're focused on the mission. Amen. And then you have one of the largest denominations in the world, redefining marriage and how that church is split now. And I praise God for the churches that made the right decision, but it's happening. These are the signs. Jesus said many would be led astray. So as these things are happening, I'm actually becoming more and more comfortable where I'm at in life. I'm not freaking out because he said they were going to happen. Verse six, the next sign, he said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For those of you that were here about a year and a half ago, I actually preached on this passage. And I really said how much I love the but in this passage. Because after that, he says the end is not yet. Some of us are acting like the end is here. But the end is not yet. So the wars and rumors wars of happening. He said in verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So we're seeing outright global warfare, but we're also seeing wars between ideologies as well. Let me give you an understanding of the second sign of the end of the age, but the end is not yet, is destruction. That's the second thing. There has been many wars and rumors of wars beginning in the earliest 20th century to today. I'm just gonna cover that period of time. We're talking about World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Shield, the war on terror, 9-11, Iraq and Afghanistan, Russia versus Ukraine. Ever since the beginning of the 21st century up to today, there have been 105 million deaths worldwide. That's a lot. But as Jesus said, the end is not yet. Until you and I are either dead and we're absent from the body and present with the Lord, or he comes back and raptures the church, whatever happens first we still have to be on mission. We cannot allow the wars and rumors of wars to affect us. He said in verse seven, here's the third sign, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are disasters. The world says it's climate change. The Bible says, Jesus said, these are disasters. Famines and earthquakes, they're going to happen. It's not something that man has done. It's the nature of the curse that we live under. The world is still under that curse of sin until Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. 
we're still going through these cycles where there's going to be famine and there's going to be disasters. Six of the greatest earthquakes ever recorded in history was in the 20th century. Give you an understanding. The great Chilean earthquake of 1960, 9.5 on the Richter scale and lasted for 10 minutes. It created a tsunami that reached all the way from South America to Hawaii and devastated Hilo, which is a city in Hawaii on, on the East Coast. Largest tornado ever recorded was just 10 years ago in El Reno. The El Reno tornado was two and a half miles wide, 300 mile an hour winds. The greatest famine in human history happened in the 20th century. It was the great Chinese famine from 1958 to 1962. 30 million people starved to death. 33 million either lost their baby or postponed having a family. So in other words, it impacted people directly by killing them, but also ensured that generations would be affected thereafter. That's pretty tremendous. Disaster happens, destruction happens, deception is happening, the end is not yet. These things are signs. He goes on in verse eight. He says, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. So we're in this period right now where it's like if you're pregnant or you've been pregnant, you know what it's like. Birth pains start to come as we get closer. And I don't want to spur anybody to deliver right now by saying this, but as, because I know there's people here that are pregnant, as you get closer, those are getting closer and closer together. These pains, these contractions to signify that we're getting close to a point where there's going to be a birth. So Jesus is saying that all these things are but birth pains, signs that he is close to coming to rapture the church. The morning sickness is tough. Can I get an amen? The weight gain is tough. (laughs) Getting comfortable is tough. The birth pains are tough, but the labor and delivery trumps them all. Am I right? So we're in this period of time right now where these birth pains are getting closer and closer. But praise God, before the labor and the delivery, we're going to be raptured. We're going to be out of here. And this is what we're going to miss because he says this in verse 9. He said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation, the tribulation period, and put you to death. And you will be hated by nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Amen. There is one thing standing in the way of the end. And that is the gospel being preached throughout the world. So when people like Amani make the decision to put her life and her son's life in danger by going to an unchristian country in a very hostile Christian, uh, country towards Christians, she's doing something that very few of us would be, would be able to do. She's going to the ends of the world to make sure the gospel is spread to people groups and individuals that have never heard the gospel. Instead of fearing behind the wall of deception, destruction, and disaster, 
She's pushing through it and saying, I'm on mission. I've got to reach the people. Because honestly, church, if we really want Jesus to come back like yesterday, we got to get the word out. And I'm not talking about just on a street corner thumping our Bibles. I'm talking about our personal interaction with people. How are we carrying the witness? How are we allowing that light to shine to other people? Because he said in verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This requires vigilance. Remember to be alert, watch for opportunity and to safeguard the word. This comes to fearing God, not fearing the signs. The last passage is Philippians chapter two, verse 12. This is it. This is how we are to be vigilant. Paul is in a Philippian jail. He's a Roman jail, I'm sorry. He's writing this to the Philippian church. And it's interesting to me because in my opinion, when I'm looking at this, I see Jesus. Like Paul is almost representing Jesus in the sense that he is gone. He's not around the people that he loves. And this is what he is telling the church in Philippi to do. Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not physically here. And I believe through Paul, he is saying this to us. He said this, this is the message version. He said, what I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. That's vigilant. I respond. My, my obedience is responsive. These things are happening, and I respond to them with the love of God's word. He said, now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your effort. How do we do that? He said, be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That's energy, is God's energy, an energy that's deep within you. Hello, Holy Spirit. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. So what do we do as the church? He said, do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. What he's saying here is be unified, not divided. The church is divided. The unification of the church is so important. We're unified under Jesus. We're unified under the idea and fulfilling the idea of preaching the Great Commission, fulfilling it. That's how we're unified. And as look across the landscape here, just in this few square miles, the churches are all competing with each other. The churches the people in those churches are competing with what the world is saying too. There's this sense that we're not really unified. And I believe that day is coming where there'll be greater, greater unity in the church. He says, go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. In other words, he's saying, light your, let your light shine. 
that Jesus said we're the light of the world. Let that light shine. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of, of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night so I'll, I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. I don't know about you, but when Jesus comes back, I want him to be proud of what I've done. I want him to be proud of what you all have done. That anticipation of him coming back soon should drive us to do more and more to fulfill the mission. And he said this, he goes, you'll be living proof that I didn't go to all of this work for nothing. You all are living proof of the fact that Jesus is alive and he is returning soon. That living proof, and that's the big idea, that living proof is that we're vigilant, that we seek opportunity, that we're alert for it, that we listen to the Holy Spirit, that we're guided by him. And honestly, folks, the only way that we're going to be able to be that way is if we're spending personal quality time with Jesus. I can be up here all day and preach a message. You could be discouraged by it. You could be encouraged by it. You could be corrected by it. You could actually step out and do what it is that's coming out of my mouth. And each one of you know yourselves and know your environments, know where you spend your days better than I do, to where you know how this applies. But the only way it's going to happen is if you are spending quality time with Jesus. I'm going to get into deception next week. Deception, every one of us has the ability to be deceived. Adam and Eve were deceived. It is the number one weapon of the devil. And there is no way we're gonna be able to do what we have to do in these last days if we're not putting our nose in our Bibles. If we're not studying his word. And I think the epiphany with me is I'm having to do kind of double duty. I've got to study the word for you all, but I also need it for me. Because when I go out there and I need to engage somebody, I'm not going to preach them my sermon that I prepared for on, uh, for Sunday. In order for me, a pastor, to be used, I have to solidify that more than anything for my personal relationship. And so do you all, because we're all responsible. And I think the reason why God has led me down this path is because instead of irresponsibly responding to what's happening out there, I want us to be responsible in how we respond as Jesus would to those that are around us and to the events that are happening right now and to reorient and refocus ourselves so that the church will be in the best state it can be when Jesus does come back for us, which I do believe is soon. And I wanna be excited about that because what I want more than anything is the treasure that is incorruptible. And that treasure is those people that I've been able to impact with the gospel and those people that I've been able to bring into the sheepfold. That's so important. So with that, with everybody, please stand.
With everybody's head bowed, nobody looking around. My prayer is this, if there is somebody in this room that has never made the decision to follow Jesus, you haven't placed your faith in him, and maybe because you haven't done so, what I said today might have freaked you out a little bit, but I'm believing and I'm praying that what was said today gave you the warning that you needed the, in love to receive Jesus so that you know that when he does return for the church that you'll be a part of that rapture. So right now, with nobody looking around, if that's you today and you need to make the decision to follow Jesus, to place your faith in him, and let me see your hand. What a weekend to be able to do that. A weekend where we celebrate freedom because of the price paid by the men and women who serve this great nation of ours. But what about the freedom? The freedom that Jesus offers. See that hand over there. Thank you. Praise God. Anybody else want to join this one over here? Anybody else? Everybody, I want you to join me with this individual over here on my right. And I want you to say this with me. For that person that raised their hand, if you believe what it is that I'm saying, not just from your mind, but also your heart. If you say this and you truly believe it, then at that moment, you transfer from death to life. You are now under God's grace and you're in his family and now you have a personal relationship with Jesus and also with God our Father. So say this prayer with me, everybody. Father, we thank you for this day. I admit that I am a sinner. It's only by your grace that I am forgiven. And I thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for my sin and who resurrected from the dead. Three days later, I believe that and I ask him to come into my life. I receive him, the gift of eternal life. And I ask him to lead me all the days of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Last but not least, maybe you're in here today and you heard people speak in other tongues. If that's you today and you would like to have that same gift the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said would fall upon you to give you power to be my witnesses. This is something that's additional than salvation. 
and it's also received the same way. It's a free gift, the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to receive the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues, if that's you today, then let me also see your hand, if that's you. Praise God. Praise God. We're about to enter communion this morning. If you have your elements, take them out. If you don't, there is a basket on the table to my right near the doors. Also, there's Willie's back there in the nice Hawaiian shirt. He's got some as well. If anybody needs any, you can go to either location and grab one. So does Gary in his fluorescent yellow over there. Green. (laughs) On the night that Jesus was later arrested, I like to paint it this way. He had his last supper with the people that were most important to him his disciples, and he gathered them around in the upper room. And at that, in that upper room, they reclined at table and as things were beginning to wind down, he took a piece of bread and he held it in front of all of them and said, this bread, when you eat it in the future, and I'm not here, I want you to think about me and about what I've done for you, the fact that I've given up my body for you. And his body was given up for us as a living sacrifice. But through that, he also paid the price for our healing. And if you need healing today, can I see your hand? If you need healing today. Man, today, I know if you have ever suffered health issues, and it seems like it's been months or years since you've been healthy and whole, and every day is a battle. And then today, lay the, lay the battle down. Say, Lord, by your stripes, I am healed. Let this be the day. We just had somebody receive salvation today. Let this be the day of your healing. So with that, praise Jesus, we are healed. Let's take the bread. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup of wine represents the new covenant and praise God for the new covenant. That bridge now being rebuilt between us and God, the new covenant, this cup represents it and the fact that in the new covenant, my blood will be poured out for you and his blood was poured out for us on the cross, amen? And that blood would cleanse us from all unrighteousness I know that a lot of us in here we all have things that we deal with there's sin still in our life even though we're a believer does not mean we don't still sin here's an opportunity today I know in our daily lives I don't know about you but daily I'm repenting of something 
But right now, maybe some of you have something that you haven't repented of. And if that's the case, confess it before Jesus right now and ask God the Father to forgive you because we are cleansed from all unrighteousness because of his blood. Father, we just thank you for that. Let's take the cup together. Father, we thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this person who received Jesus today, Father. We thank you that we have somebody that's been added on to your kingdom. And we just thank you, Father, that you just bless us, keep your hand upon us during these last days. And we just give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.